Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Please consider supporting Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. Uh, they are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hello, fellow Creative Control listeners. My name is Mac Cameron. I live in Toronto, and I have been listening to Creative Control with Vishkana since episode 119. That featured all five members of one of my favorite bands, Constantine's. I listen backwards from there and then forwards, and I know it sounds, you know, over the top or cliche, but finding the show changed the course of my life. It inspired me to pursue a career in radio and to do what I can to support the arts in my community and across the country. So I give to Creative Control because I feel like I owe the show and Vish uh, for helping me figure out what the hell to do with my life. Beyond that, I give to Creative Control because I think independent media, especially insightful, entertaining, thoughtful, and thorough independent media is something that is worth paying for. What I appreciate about Creative Control is Vish's ability to treat Canadian artists, or any artist for that matter, with the seriousness and appreciation he would any other artist. His excellent rapport with people like Steve Albini and the members of Fugazi and Stephen Malcolmus and others have earned him international appreciation. However, it's his trove of interviews with what I consider to be the most exciting generation of Canadian musicians, conducted out of genuine passion and interest, that makes this show so special. I think it is an archive of some really exciting music that is way, way underreported on and appreciated. That's why I contribute to Creative Control with Vishkana, and I hope you will do the same. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. I'm Visha's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that. Joe Casey is a wondrous lyricist and lead singer based in Detroit, Michigan. Over the past decade, Casey has fronted Proto-Martyr, one of this century's most significant underground rock bands. Renowned for a live show that is equally explosive and enigmatic, Proto-Martyr have released five multi-layered albums, 
including 2020's reflective Ultimate Success Today, which came out on July 17th via Domino Records. Marking his third appearance on this show, Joe Casey and I caught up for a discussion about the socio-cultural status of the United States of America as it negotiates civil unrest, police brutality, and all the while serving as the Earth's epicenter for the spread of COVID-19 during a pandemic, how he may well have predicted all of those things in writing some new proto-martyr songs, political polarization and the end of decorum, why Alberta doesn't have any rats, Ghostface Killa and Thin Lizzy, Little Caesar's Pizza and Hypochondria, future plans, and more. A part of the Entertainment One network with the support of listeners like you, who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creativecontrol, and Massey Hall's concert film series, live at masseyhall.com, where you can stream dozens of 30-minute films for free, including performances by past podcast guests like Cold Specs, plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, this is the 552nd episode of Creative Control, featuring the thoughtful and talented Joe Casey with your host, me, Vishkana. Hi, Joe. How's it going? Uh, pretty good. That's good. Nice to speak with you again, and welcome back to the show. Where in the world are you today? Um, I'm currently in the suburb of Clawson, which is outside of Detroit. It's where my brother lives, and he has uh, good Wi-Fi, so we could uh, connect and talk today. I don't have Wi-Fi. Well, and how do you function without Wi-Fi in this day and age? I, I know some people dream of not having Wi-Fi, and you are living the dream. How how do you get away with not having Wi-Fi in this day and age? Well, the house, I haven't been living in that house since the uh, quarantine started. And, you know, usually you just go and you'd visit your brothers who have uh, the cable and the air conditioning and the Wi-Fi and the <laughs> stock fridge, and you you take advantage of uh, familial love. So that's what I did. So are you, have you abandoned your own home? Uh, no, I go back and, you know, uh, mow the lawn and uh, check on the mail. But, yeah, it just started because my brother went over to his girlfriend's house. And so the house was free. His house was free. So I felt like I was doing him a, a favor by checking on his mail. It's a, it's a terrible cycle of checking on mail and, and mowing lawns and things. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, uh, meaning as we're speaking, uh, uh, the pandemic is uh, still with us and uh, surging is occurring in various uh, United States and around the world. Um, what's your frame of mind like uh, living through this and and what's the status every time you've been on the show you've given me a detroit status update i feel like uh sure so i might as well ask why not why not now uh as i often ask people i talk to about status updates how is detroit how are you doing in detroit let's see um 
Well, I haven't really been into the city, downtown Detroit, uh, since uh, March March 11th, I think was the last time I was down there. March 11th. Um, so, yeah, because we had gone, we had started a tour on uh, March 11th uh, in Detroit. We uh, drove to Kalamazoo to pick up uh, Kelly Deal, who was driving up from uh, Dayton, and then we're going to Chicago for the first of our three-day little mini tour to uh, you know kind of practice with Kelly and as we were driving to Chicago, our Kalamazoo show got canceled and our Columbus show got canceled. And uh, the Chicago show barely <laughs> happened. And then uh, after that, we came back home to Detroit, and that's when it kind of all started. Hmm. Uh, the state of Detroit, um, I thought the protests, uh, from what I've heard, have been going very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think especially because there is uh, – specific demands that people have. Um, we're not getting, uh, they tried to make a big thing where, you know, Oh no, they're rioting, but, uh, Detroit had really none of that. Uh, maybe a few smashed windows, these things happen. Um, so I thought that the protests were, are going uh, very well, like they're still going on and they're, uh, timed correctly. And, you know, there's goals behind them and, um, but yeah, I mean, there's uh, as far as the mask wearing, it seemed like at the beginning of this thing, my part of Detroit, northwest side, was hit very, very hard. Um, we had the youngest person of the state in the state to die of COVID in uh, from my neighborhood. Yeah, and um, it seemed like Detroit was handling it pretty well. Uh, we had some testing that you could go to. And, but I think everybody just could not sacrifice. And I think, you know, uh, people, the combination of capitalism needing to continue no matter what and uh, people not having the courage or the ability to uh, wear a mask is uh, going to bite us in the ass uh, again and uh, keep me out of a job uh, for at least until 2021, if not longer now, because of uh, our inability to have uh, – to stay the course so right okay so huh that was a bit interesting you seem to suggest that detroit was dealing with some things well and some things not so well and in terms of the pandemic people are not by your observation and and by the rate of the virus spreading they're not abiding by the social distancing protocols and the mask wearing protocols that's that's your assessment well, my assessment, I, I would say that when I'm in, when I'm back to my house, uh, my neighborhood, people are wearing masks. And uh, I think Detroiters are taking it seriously as, as much as they can. Um, I think the, the governor uh, was nice and was strict, which, you know, there's always a worry that maybe somebody's too strict. Like, why, why is she not allowing this and not allowing that? But uh, overall, I thought, think uh, compared to some states she was had a pretty clear policy of you know social distancing and things being closed but i think just uh from what i'm sensing i just feel like a lot of people are just kind of giving up you know they're trying to get back to you know i i it's one of the reasons why i hate instagram or, or something is that you can see uh the people that are kind of and that goes for both both the protesting and 
you know, the, the other issues at hand, you know, with Black Lives Matter and police brutality and wearing a mask and realizing that we're in a pandemic. So, you know, I hate to be policing people, but you you see people like, now I'm having a wonder, you know, people have already gone back to their normal lives or trying to, and I think it's probably too soon. I've never, it's, always, it's, it's, it's a bizarre perfect storm of stuff though, right? Because these protests, I think you're advocating for them and you view them as necessary, as do I, uh, as do many people. However, there's the pandemic at the same time. So the notion of gathering together with other people and potentially spreading the disease, masks or no, uh, it's complicated because the protests should be happening. This is the time for them to be happening, but it's also the time for us to probably be isolating from each other uh, much in the way you would if you did not attend a protest, I suppose is what I'm saying. Right. But I think, I think part of the reason why the protests were so effective in the first place and why uh, they were able and still able to do continual pressure where it's not just a, a thing where, Hey, we're going to march this yeah. weekend yeah. and see it. You know, when that, when, when the next cop shoots somebody, we'll get back together. See you then. It's because of the, the quarantine, because people are out of jobs and because, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, they're, they're able, it, you, you say it's a perfect storm. It's a perfect storm that allows this level of, uh, of, of thing. And then the question you have to ask yourself is like, uh, if these protests are to be effective, that I'd rather sacrifice myself to protest uh, these indignities against the human body then whether or not I can go and get my hair cut. Well, you know? yeah, yes, yes. We saw <laughs> we saw white people protest uh, in the uh, first wave of the pandemic, I think about four or five weeks in, there were the image. And, and by the way, again, your state is in the news a lot. Your uh, governor is uh, Gretchen Whitmer, right? Right. Gretchen Whitmer has been in the crosshairs of your president uh, as a particular sure. target. And... These government buildings that were basically invaded by these people protesting the fact that they had to wear masks and practice social distancing, and then there were the right. armed militias. That all occurred in Michigan too, right? Sure. I mean, it, it, you couldn't, you know, I'm not going to write a, a 2020 concept album. I mean, someday down the line, <laughs> someone's going to write a musical this year. In, in the bombed out uh, desert wasteland where the, the future people will live, there'll be a great 2020 musical. But just the and this goes for all sides. It's fascinating to me that in the span of a week, the uh, the we'll call them the right wing conservative wing of society was like the government has, has too much power and they're trying to police my right to go get a haircut and uh, uh, take my boat out on a lake and uh, you know and carry my guns and all this stuff. Within a week. And then, of course, you know the, the the left the left wing, and we're saying, hey, you know, you need to sacrifice. You know, we all need to be in this together. The government needs to yeah tell us what to do so we can get through this pandemic faster. Then a week goes by, you have uh, you know this uprising, and now the people that a week ago wanted to bring guns into the to break the law to get a haircut are now like these people. You know, George Floyd had it coming; he broke the law. And why don't people follow law and order and the police need to, you know, and now the, you know, the left is like, 
we need to protest. We, we, you know, we screw social distancing. We need to come together, and this is most. So just in that that week, to have that kind of uh, wave, you know, you realize uh, that there isn't uh, that how emotion and how dyed in the wall people are with their beliefs that uh, you know there's not a moral there's not a moral center anymore. No, no, there's no, there's, well, there, there may have been at some point, but the, the lack of galvanization in your country in particular is, and I say this with all respect, Joe, you know, I love you, right? You know that I'm not, (laughs) it's not meant to disparage you or proto-martyr or anything else, but the polarization in your country to see it from afar is baffling. The hypocrisy, the flip-flopping, the, the, you know, taking positions when they're convenient for your team your side, yeah. like it, it's not Republican and Democrat didn't used to be this vastly disparate thing that could never compromise. This has happened over time. Uh, sorry, I recently, somewhat recently, a few months ago, and I, I don't know, I know he himself is a polarizing figure for some, but I read Ezra Klein's book, uh, Why We're Polarized. Did you, do you know that book? <laughs> At first, it's like the guy from Vampire Weekend wrote a wrote a book. <laughs> what? Wow, wow, guy. No, I think it's a different I, guy. No, I, yeah, I didn't. No, I, I, that's Ezra Koenig, right? I, yeah. I did not. Okay, Ezra Klein is one of the founders of Vox. He used to be a Washington Post uh, uh, editor, actually. So he founded okay. Vox, which is positions itself as a uh, it's it's a it's a left leaning fact oriented. Uh, publication and anyway he is the editor of that thing and he wrote this book called why we're polarized so i kind of been parroting it to people recently again i know he's a you don't even know who he is he's not in vampire weekend but he is a political commentator and and, an analyst and he just talks about how everything in your country at some point from around the mid-20th century on became super uh, polarized and politicized i suppose is the right word like we're at a point now where the NFL became this politicized thing, right? And it used to be everyone could gather together and watch the game. It didn't matter if you were a Democrat or a, a Republican or a right wing or left wing. And now everything we do is informed by this political slant. And when I say perfect storm, that's kind of where we're at. This pandemic happened. These protests are happening. And as you say, the protests are happening because people have the time and anger <laughs> they have the time on their hands because a lot of them are a lot of people are unemployed and they're mad about that and then they think about the systemic racism and the systemic issues that your country has and everything is kind of like i feel like black lives matter protests are not just about that issue they seem to be about righteous anger at your government as a whole do you see that but first of all yes and you know it's it's what's fascinating to me now is I feel like there is uh, I feel like the movement itself is kind of being shot by both sides at the moment. Hmm. Where and I'm very cognizant of the fact of not being on one of the sides that's sh- shooting at the at the movement because I think the the movement is very clear. Like the first time I've ever heard to, to fund the police, I was like, "What the hell does that mean?" And then. <laughs> it was spelled out to me and I was like, that makes a lot of sense that we can't have, we can't have these cities where the policing is you know, way too much of the budget. Maybe some of the problems that we have in these cities is because the police budget is, is sucking up all this stuff and, and turning everything into a military, uh, militarized state. 
Right. The money and, that could be going to social programs and other programs is, right. could, is being sucked right. up by their budget. And, yeah. And, and what I like about that is that it threads the needle of like, well, who, who was, when did this start? When did uh, all of a sudden the police force go from, you know, being a thing that was probably corrupt, very corrupt and very racist, but small enough that it wasn't, you know, the prevalent military force in every major city. Mm-hmm. When did that happen? You look back and all oh, that, you know, that was started under Clinton. Mm-hmm. So it's not really, yeah. it's not like, it's not like a right wing left thing. But like, to go back to the, the, I'm worried about the, um, the movement being diluted right now because I, and that's not diluted, that's diluted. Yes, <laughs> so, yes, yes. Uh, because what's happening is, I feel like, uh, and we'll just call them the like the liberal, the liberal centrists. We'll call them, and we'll call them the corporations and things. Are saying like, oh yes, Black Lives Matter. You know, hashtag. Uh, here's mm-hmm. you know, we, you know, we will hire more people of color, and so please stop protesting. You know, <laughs> or the people that are like, we need to tear down all the statues, and that will be you know, once they're all torn down, that will be. Like people are focusing on the statues way too much, both right and left. It's Ooh. becoming like it's it's a a distraction. Who cares about statues? Know? The statues thing is insane. I don't understand. Who? No one cares about right. statues. Literally, no no one. I don't. I mean, I mean, sorry. To your point, everyone does. No one should. They're statues. No one cares. They shouldn't. Sorry again. Right. I realize it's, people it's care. Issue, <laughs> Nobody but, should but care about I, them. <laughs> what what I hate about it is I think. You know, I understand why they're brought up because it's like when people say, like, "Oh, this is a few bad apples," or "This is something." You know, America. You know, we've solved racism, which you know, people again, both the right and the lazy liberals want to say, like, "Oh, yes, yeah, it's been you know, it's been solved." You know, yeah. I voted for Obama twice. <laughs> I should clarify: the, I don't think those statues should have ever been put up. But the amount of the, right. the, the celebrating the reason why they're brought up. <laughs> Yeah, the reason why they're brought up is a, as a, is an example to be like, well, no, actually, it's this is baked into the uh, the system, and this like, mm-hmm. you know, there's statues. You know, the fact that we've got, you know, in Michigan we have a bunch of Confederate statues. It's like, well, what? How did that happen? You know? Yeah. And for me, it's an interesting thing because, like, my dad was a uh, a very he's very into the Civil War. He, our house is full of books uh, i might not have wi-fi but i have every civil war book ever written hmm. uh, during my dad's lifetime uh he loved it and so i've been to every civil war battlefield and i have seen like you know some some pretty uh janky civil war monuments and things right uh it makes sense that there would be some monuments on battlefields or in museums and things it doesn't make any sense that in the mid 20th century Confederate statues started appearing in small towns in Michigan. Mm -hmm. That to me does not point to any sort of historical thing that points to me. That's some sort of racist signpost. So sure. No, but as far as that being the, I, we must protect the statues. (laughs) It's just, (laughs) it's mind blowing. You, you, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. You mentioned, or like Aunt Jemima, we've got to protect Aunt Jemima. There was just the other day, there was a 20 year old, a 20 year old woman giving a speech about how Aunt Jemima represented the, the, this American dream. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, When you were 20 years old, (laughs) that's right. Yeah. When you were, when you were 20 years old, did you give a shit about 
maple syrup. Were you like, I got to, you know, like it's, it, it sounded like an 80 year old woman talking on the stage, but she was a 20 year old, you know, college student. It's, that's when you're like, okay, this is, they're trying to both sides end up pulling it into the cultural war or totems or symbols. But doesn't that, opposed to, isn't that the natural offshoot of a country, particularly yours, and I think it's influenced others that really views patriotic symbolism as the ultimate expression. Like very few issues uh, cause controversy in your country in particular than something, some desecration of a symbol. And that's kind of what we're, the statues are a symbol. The flag is a symbol, not standing for the kneeling during the national anthem is symbolic. It's really weird <laughs> how much symbols uh, dictate th- Aunt Jemima is an icon of advertising. It's, it's it's she's a symbol of some. I mean, to the the left leaning point of view, she's a negative symbol. Uh, as are a lot of uh, African American or Black iconography used for commercials and and most POC. We've talked about team names for decades now that need to be changed, but they're ultimately symbols. And I is, right. there, is there something going on there with your country and just like the jingoistic symbolism and, you know, every football game is like, you know, mired in symbolic imagery and you all, not you, but a lot of people take that very seriously and it creates wounds between them. Like it disconnects people and their symbols. Isn't that weird? Uh, sure. I mean, but I would, I would say that it's a way to discuss, you know, society, or it's a way to discuss the world. You know, maybe maybe when we were kids, uh, we all had to read signs and symbols, and we're all into like semiotics or something. What? Like maybe maybe America is <laughs> really into. Uh, you know, no, it is. Yeah. I, there's no. That's yeah. part of what's going on right now, and there's a lot of slogans and slogans and 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 symbolism and. You know, the when the when the mayor of Washington D.C. Washington D.C. changes the name of a street, uh, a thoroughfare to Black Lives Matter Plaza, that's a message. Uh, it counters the racist street names and statues that were being discussed at the time, and but it's adding to this discourse about but symbols. It, right. Unfortunately, yeah, it, it, it's. It empowers what would be like, and specifically in Detroit, we found out, and it was kind of news to me, like where it was like, oh, a lot of the, you know, slavery was in Michigan for a while. And a lot of the founding fathers of Detroit and basically now reduced to, you know, street names were slave owners. And you're like, okay, uh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. But is taking down a name of a street that's named after a guy that used to own slaves back in the 1700s, is that, uh, and then replacing it with a very explicit racial name, like Black Lives Matter at Boulevard, does that not, I I don't think that solves the problem necessarily. And I don't know exactly what the problem is. Like, I feel like it would be, you know... I don't know. I was just having I, I, of, I was having a conversation about this with someone the other day, actually, about this specific thing because it was it was discovered, or at least brought 
more more attention was brought to the fact that there's a street name in Toronto called Dundas Street, and uh, it was also named after a questionable figure historically. And so there have been calls to change the name. And my guest uh, Adam Sturgeon of this uh, uh, band uh, Whoopso uh, here in Canada was saying that uh, kind of something along the same lines as what you're saying on one hand, but. I think we left it thinking this isn't really for us, that name change. It's for future generations. Um, Because in a way, you name something Black Lives Matter Plaza right now, it it has an immediate resonance. But 50 years from now, if someone younger says, why is it called that? Well, why is it called that instead of, uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson Avenue (laughs) or who was Thomas Jefferson or who was so-and-so who was the figure you're talking about in Detroit instead of talking about them you're talking about the issue and so it's on some level that's probably for the best isn't it it is Uh, like I I I generally support iconoclasts but the, the problem I have and because I'm not an expert on this and I don't feel like I have a very uh, superior superior political standpoint. Is I'm I'm I think like most people where I would be like yeah you know Stone Mountain Georgia that uh, giant where it's like the giant statues of the three yeah, yeah. you know Lee and, and like blow that up you know tear down the statue and, but I with I. I bet you it would get to the point where they'd be like, now we got to tear down this guy's statue. And I'd be, and I'd be like, wait a minute, but I like that guy. Like eventually they get to a point where there'd be some statue where I'd be like, but that's actually, it's, it's irony. (laughs) Or like, you know, I would get to the point where I try to defend the statue. And then I would be like, why am I, you know, how did I get pulled into this signs and symbols debate? Yeah. When the issue the issues, you know, in our conversation just got derailed by it. You know, issue, <laughs> I suppose it did. Yeah, I suppose yeah, it did. So, I was just asking how know, things were going. My question was, how's how's things going, I think. Right. And then well, I... How's, how's things going in Canada? <laughs> Everything, uh, the land of milk and honey, got no problems up there in Canada? No, it's uh, just as bad. On uh, We have a smaller population, but we have loads and loads of systemic racism, uh, more sure. than we know what to do with. And... Uh, uh, yeah, so we have about uh, maybe better healthcare, but still lots of systemic racism and and lots of uh, divisions, uh, political divisions, uh, where you would think, uh, because we have a built-in empathy, we would do things together that would help uh, all of us at the same time. But because of the nature of politics and maybe information and the way the media covers things, I don't want to say the media. I said it. I did say the media, and uh, maybe that's <laughs> simplistic. But the it's way too, we too broad of a term. It's it, a symbol. It's a symbol for something. <laughs> for something. Well, I do think that we are learning. One of the real interesting aspects of uh, how people have been elected around the world. I just left Ontario. I don't know if you know this, Joe. I live in Alberta now. Well, I know just because I had to figure out what mountain time was. Right. Sorry. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. We moved in. Uh, uh, January, my family and I moved from Ontario to Alberta, and uh, at least one of the reasons we left was I was I just couldn't deal with the. Um, this is going to be really ridiculous. That we had a really 
kind of conservative government in Ontario. There's actually a, a worse government on some level here where I live now in Alberta. But but I also anyway, timing was timing. We just my wife's family's from here, so we moved. Um, but it's been interesting to learn how with your uh, president as well, and and just how people believe what they want to believe. Uh, and they vote accordingly, and it's not really based on facts and how truth has now become something you can debate. Like just plain solid facts have been questioned and uh, denigrated to the point where you, we all are basically trained to mistrust everything we read. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's really led to uh, a deterioration of uh, certainly you know, social discourse, but also just civility. <laughs> and and so that's kind of where we're at. And I feel like swimming around all the things we just talked about, uh, that's there too. There's just an erosion of decorum that is, and it's maybe I theorize that it's internet-based, but it's spilling into real life like a like tidal waves now where the anonymous right. comment you used to be able to make on the internet isn't doing it for right. you. So you go out into the street and you yell at someone who's a person of color or different than you. Uh, right. The, the internet troll 10 years ago was the sweaty fat guy in his basement that no one gave a shit about. And now it's, now it's the sweaty everybody. fat guy in the white house. Right. The yeah, ultimate it's, it's the ultimate internet troll was validated by your people. And we've had similar figures here. Uneducated leaders, no just sure. in it for a quick bucks. Literally, like it's this is spreading around the world. And I appreciate what you said earlier about not wanting to be the guy just shooting down the other side, so to speak, because they are the other side. But I will I will put forth to you that as more and more information comes to light and you see the true nature of the way people vote and make decisions based on party lines, I think we're starting to see just how shitty some of the parties are. Um, and that they're, and I, this is a broad brush, but I'm at a point, I would think some of you must be at a point, and I think it's happening in real time. If you're a Republican, I don't want to, I'm not fucking with you. If you're a Democrat, I'm not fucking with you. Like, I don't care what you say because I know you're that. And and that's a fracture that I'm concerned. I've been, <laughs> it's been building and building and building, but don't you think that's where you're at right now? Where if you're that, that's it. I'm done. Well, it, and I, I, you can find uh, the more apolitical mind. Like, I think I was probably one of those people living fat and lazy in the apolitical landscape. But like, I see a lot of uh, friends on Facebook and things where they have to admit now where it, they come to the point where it's uh, people that support Trump at this point. What are their reasonings behind it? And I don't, I can't think of a justifiable reason, mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that is shocking to me that I can't think, well, at least he's uh, fiscally responsible. You know, <laughs> maybe he locks up people in cages, but he's fiscally responsible. Like, even that I could see, like, oh, this old Republican doesn't want to 
vote for or doesn't needs to support the Republican Party because he believes in fiscal responsibility. But they haven't been, you know, I don't know. And so you if you're supporting him, I'm I have to come to the conclusion. Oh, you want you support the systematic, uh, you know, that uh, our immigration system is now shut down to everybody yeah that used to be one of the defining principles of america is that we'll take we'll take your best and brightest we'll take every we'll take people and we'll make them american mm-hmm. which is maybe one reason why we're so into symbols is that we are you know a, a, a melting pot even though it's not really a melting pot but we are a nation made up of many different peoples you you're, know? you're supposed to be a melting pot that's right 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 we're supposed we're supposed to you know there is no like one kind of American, and to me, that's like of all all the shit we have to go through to get through Americans. I do feel like that's something that we have over a lot of countries that maybe have better healthcare, and maybe you know, not, maybe not Canada, but like certainly countries in Europe where their their policies of immigration are much much stricter than America, right? And they they kind of are monocultures, and like why why can they live in this socialist utopia? It's like well, that's because there's there's only one type of person there, you know, they're not, <laughs> it's not a melting pot, you know, yeah. it's actually a very segregated society. Right. So, but I mean, the entire, anyway. yeah, we, 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 uh, we're not doctors. Uh, we, uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we took our shot there trying to fix the world's problems. And I think we fixed it. I, I think, think we did. I think it's I, done. Absolutely. I, I just wanted to figure out why I thought you just moved to Alberta to get away from rats. You're sick of rats. No, I, do we have a lot of rats? We don't have rats. We had you have mi- no rats. Well, we, I didn't have rats. We had mice in my house. We had little no, tiny mice. Alberta, Alberta has no rats. Is that correct? I didn't know that. We have giant rabbits. We have rabbits the size of small Great Danes. I don't know if that really works as an analogy or, or yeah. comparison, but, <laughs> but ba- they, it's yeah. the size of a baby big dog. <laughs> no, you gotta look that. You gotta look this up, man. There's not Alberta, a single rat here. Alberta has spent a lot of time and money to make sure that there's no rats in the whole province. Really, I did not know that. I mean, I did look up. I, I'm so used to m- mouse. Uh, you know, vermin feces and yeah, and I did. Oh, I yeah. when we moved into our house, finally, I'm like, it's weird. I'm so used to looking for it, looking for signs of mice, and it was nothing. It's been nothing so far, and I was a bit baffled by it. Uh, but yeah, I, I no, will, like, I, I'll Google it. I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's well. not. It's like the, the the snakes in Ireland. There's no. Right. No rats in Alberta. <laughs> well, okay, that's good. I'm learning something about where I'm at. Uh, have you ever been? Yeah. Have you ever been here for uh, band reasons or otherwise? Yeah, it's, it's the sled. Is the sled? Yeah, yeah. Island sled Central? Island. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. In Calgary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you've yeah, been you've wonderful. been been here the one time. Just the one time. Nice. Yeah, and uh, our friends and preoccupations are from Alberta. That's right. That's right. From Calgary and, as well. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, um, and it, it stinks that when you're touring, it's like maybe I'll. Hit. That's why the Sled Island Festival was so great. It gave you a reason to go to Alberta. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So I want to ask you a question that I'm sure you've had to field uh, since uh, your new album, uh, Ultimate uh, Success Today, began circulating among. Uh, uh, media weasels like me. Congratulations on the new album, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Here's uh, what I want to read to you uh, to ask you if you are from the future. 
Uh, it is from a okay. it's from a song called "Process by the Boys." Do you know where I'm going? Do you know where I'm going already? Uh, it depends. Okay, uh, let, let, let uh, me let me go. I, I don't want to. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. There's a few okay. things going on in this song that seem prescient, um, given that I assume it was written before, well before we all began experiencing the things we've been experiencing. Here we go. When the ending comes, is it going to run at us like a wild-eyed animal? A foreign disease washed upon the beach. A dagger plunged from out the shadows. A cosmic grief beyond all comprehension. All good laid low by outside evil, against belief. A riot in the streets. A giant beast turning mountains into black holes. So, I uh, (laughs) thought, wow, there's some... There's some COVID-19 pandemic stuff going on in here that I bet Joe wasn't thinking about necessarily. And then right. then we got a ride in the streets. And as we're speaking, uh, there have been protests that uh, the police have turned some of them into riots uh, over time. Mm-hmm. Where did this come from and what do you make of it now that some of it seems to be more real than maybe you thought it would be? I don't know. Where did this come from? Um, well, I'm psychic. No, uh, it's <laughs> that's what I was, song was written more than a year ago. In fact, I think there's yeah, like we it was written like last winter. That's when the, the song was started. It was one of the first songs we worked on for the album. So it's definitely not about COVID. It, and it's funny because at the beginning, when people were when we first released the song, and then you know the very next day, uh, America shut down. <laughs> Uh, literally like the day that we announced the album yeah it was uh tom hanks had uh reported he had coronavirus yeah and the nba was uh going to uh suspend the season you know so <laughs> amazing timing at first you yeah you know i i, I just did so i <laughs> the album comes out and people are like well you say a foreign disease wash it on the beach ooh spooky and i say well no if you listen i say that's not going to be what uh, destroys us. It's not going to be these perceived threats from the outside and within. Um, it's going to be the way that we handle them. Right. You know, it says fiction, fiction, fiction. You know, yeah. reality has a far duller edge, and it's about how we give our trust and authority to the state, and this, and it's going to be the bungling of the state that's going to hurt us. Hmm. The boys and processed by the boys are the police, you know, right. Are the people in charge. Right. And so I was saying that at the beginning, I was like, Oh, you see, no, I'm not psychic. I I think it's going to be our response to this. And then now it's kind of even become more, uh, prescient. Yeah. It's, 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 it's an eerie thing to, uh, read off the page. It also sounds vaguely like a soul song. It actually reminded me of, a Ghostface Killer song called Nutmeg. Um, oh yeah, well that's good. I, I love Ghostface, so yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's a it's a song by um, I looked it up the other day and I can't remember. Who. Do you? Do, uh, I don't know the source of that sample, but do, do you remember? Do, it's it's the first song on Supreme Clientele. Um, mm-hmm. It has a similar kind of uh, stabbing part <laughs> right and i don't know where if you know where the 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 sound of this song came from or the arrangement but it seems very soul music oriented if that makes any sense well maybe it's sort of in the back back 
door away because you know the band writes the music but i have for a long time been trying to write a thin lizzie-esque song Mm. and there's a couple that haven't made the cut and this is the first one where you know when they talk about the boys coming back into town it's uh, when they you know it's kind of a direct reference to when the you know, boys are back in town. It's kind of like <laughs> right <laughs> after the boys are back, the boys are back in town. Yay. Now we need to get them a job. Uh, well, these idiots can, they'll be our cops, you know? And really the song came from more about, and this is, this is how here's an easy lesson for your listeners on how to become a psychic. <laughs> is that you write about things that are happening today and invariably they're going to happen again. All right. Maybe worse. All right. You know? So when I was writing that song last winter, not even this, this current, you know, like 2018 going into the 2019, I was, the main issue was ice and how ice was hiring all these people and ice, uh, you know, the, the border army that we have now, yeah. it kind of came out of nowhere. Right. Uh, but of course was probably stri- bolstered and started by, you know, Obama and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I was like, where are they hiring all these guys from? You know, are they just rejects from the army or are they former police that have been drummed out for brutality? You know, where are they coming from? And so it was my concern over ice that uh, was the base. So it's ice and uh, Thin Lizzy that song. For <laughs> okay, me. okay. And and yeah, and hearing the hearing the phrase "tattered demalion" and being like that should go in a song someday. Where did you, you hear that? Uh, this is a term for uh, uh, it's a, the line is in their tattered demalion uniforms. They look so nice. Tattered demalion means kind of like uh, beat up, right? Or uh, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Well, it's just from in, in that you've seen, there's been some weird, weird ass, especially in Washington, D.C., there's been like private contractor army guys. Yeah, we've seen that. Unidentified, yeah, which is, unidentified authority figures who seem to act like cops. Right. And they, and you say, where are you from? And they, they can't tell you. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, I, and that is all, I assume it's only because Washington, D.C. is actually owned by the federal government. It's not really, a, you know, it's one of those weird sort of loopholes. But that is frightening to me. And yeah. I do, I've, I feel like that's going to be one of the consequences of all of this is if we achieve our goals of reducing the police and, and, Pulling, getting them off the drug of militarization and, and, and money being poured into them too, and we get away the loopholes where they can't, you know, or the money if they get sued for being a violent person, the money doesn't come from taxpayers; it comes from like the force or from them. You yeah, know? accountability. If we if we somehow stuff accountability back into the police forces, which they should be, they should actually want, you know. Yeah. Uh, then you push one thing down, the bad things that are going to sprout up are going to be an increase of the uh, surveillance state. That's just going to be, you know, the doorbell ringer things that Amazon is selling that they give the information directly to the cops. Yeah. Right. That these cameras that are fake. You know. So the surveillance state's going to rise up. And then I really honestly feel in Detroit, we have 
these billionaires that have their camp. I think I talked gassed about them last time. Yeah, we did. We talked about the uh, Little Caesars Arena, I believe it was, and uh, yeah, that family. Where, where, uh, during the during the uprisings, uh, the, the Little Caesars Arena was used as a holding zone for people that were arrested during the riots. Mm-hmm. So that shows you how corporations and and the police work together to oppress the people. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's going to be it's going to be surveillance is going to be on the rise, and these private armies, these private security forces, are going to get larger. Yeah. And there's lots of places that are not like the area around the the pizza uh, stadium is owned by the Illiches, and they'll put in eventually. Right now, they haven't put in shit, but when they put in stuff, as soon as you cross into their property, you'll be on private property. And they will probably be able to have a private police force that will be way more militarized than the actual police force. So why the police force may, as people, we can fight to demilitarize them and get them back into, you know, not so violent roles. Uh, the private sector will increase guys with these tattered Amalian, uh uniforms, you know, this yeah. shitty military uniforms. I thought of you uh, somewhat recently because I thought, a story began circulating about how that family. What's the name of the family again that uh, owns Little Caesars? The Illiches. Illiches. Yeah, I, the Illiches. I thought I read a kind of feel-good story about how they, uh, one of the members of the family, actually paid Rosa Parks's rent. Do you know what I'm talking about? Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah, that was the uh, that was Mike Illich, the founders of Little Caesars Pizza, who had passed away, and this was kind of like you. I bet you didn't know that uh, Mike uh, paid for. Rosa Parks for years, and so there's a spin, a little spin they were putting on uh, this guy's life, maybe. Yeah, it, well, yeah, they were they were celebrating the dead, which is okay. So he's he's dead now. Yeah, but then they're bringing up the fact that uh, they, the controlled blight that they do, and the fact that they've kicked out people that live in the city and that they sit on these abandoned properties that turns the city into a ghetto and they, and they destroy properties, you know, and they're to blame for a lot of the problems of Detroit. Then you bring up these issues and people say, but, Oh, but, 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 but he gave money to Rosa Parks. Right. And it's like, well, he's dead. So they've used it as a shield now. Yeah. Yeah. What was a nice anecdote has been brought up so many times now that it's like, this is cover. Yeah, is- yeah, that's what I read it as. And like I say, I thought of you. I thought of the anecdotes you and the stories you told me the last well, one of the last times you were on the show. And uh, I thought, oh, this is cover. Uh, this is uh, this is them spinning yeah. this a little bit. You know, we've talked a lot about very uh, universal topics, and we talked about Detroit and America and lots of different things here um, that. Uh, I don't know if they get it. I mean, we've 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 learned a lot about you from that and your perspective on things. But my understanding is that ultimate success today is is actually quite a personal record, and that term is kind of an umbrella term for your feelings about being in proto martyr and what it might mean. Is there any truth to that? Am I off base there? Uh, you're trying to steal second. You're off base. Uh, no, it's <laughs> you. Yeah. I mean, ultimate this, I would say coming off of relatives and descent where I tried to do a very loose connected series of songs about truths and everything. 
and wanting to like talk about the, polit- the, the politics of the moment and then kind of having the having, I felt like it was a very good album and it accomplished a lot of things that I wanted it to do, but then to have it kind of be like, eh, you know, it was not, uh, I, it just, it didn't, I, I don't know how to explain it. You're talking but, about the reception to it was a bit muted. I don't know if the reception, it just, it just seemed like a lot of the things that I put into it personally just seemed to go past uncommented on or not, you know, and that's just that I believe that comes down to personal van- vanity. You know, you, you would like every one of your, your words parsed over and, and chewed on and things. And it, it didn't seem, it seemed kind of passed over a little bit, huh. which is again, I think my own, you know, personal feelings on it, but for what it's worth, I it thought, a, didn't we go really thoroughly through every song on that one? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, you're, you're good, man. You're good. Don't worry about you. No, I wasn't talking. I wasn't trying to, I just am I'm recalling yeah. this now. And I, I, I haven't uh, revisited that conversation since it, uh, you know, since it went out into the world, but I remember uh, being really yeah. blown away by what we were, what, what you said about things and how willing you were to, uh, go through everything and um i thought it was really f- fascinating and a multi I, I just thought that record was really fascinating and multi-layered and then i put right. we put it out in the world and i thought you know similarly to tearing a statue down i fixed it job's done everyone's gonna love <laughs> yes. proto-martyr now we had a good discussion so that takes care of that and i just never thought about yeah. it again you're saying perhaps uh, not everyone right. shared your and my enthusiasm uh, for the intricacies of those songs, right? I don't. I don't think I got the the smart king of the world award did not <laughs> arrive in the mail. Like I thought it was going to. You deserved it. Uh, I no, thought you deserved it. I, yeah. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I think I, I. I really think like this is kind of a roundabout way to say the saying that I was writing about kind of very macro things, and for this one, I wanted to not. I knew right away in the past, I always say, well, this next one could be a happy album. You know, we might actually write a happy album. Uh, <laughs> I still hope that would happen, but I kind of knew that I wouldn't be able to repeat the tr- trick twice with like, it couldn't be, I didn't want to write relatives into this descent part two, right. where it would be, here's an update on how, shitty things are going in the world mm-hmm. and and i was feeling it was coming off approaching the end of a decade which uh, as you probably know uh, as you get older you realize how few decades you have you know when you get to yeah. your fourth decade you're like oh, oh great that was great uh boy that sure went by fast uh how many more of these do i got you know one two three you don't know yeah uh, and nobody knows, but it starts to become pretty obvious as you get older that you know, time's running out. So I had that going on in my head. Uh, and then also we had re-released the first record as, you know, kind of a stopgap since we toured so much and we didn't have time to work on a new album. It's the longest break we've had between albums, yeah. not even counting it being pushed back. So I was really being nostalgic for like, you, you know, the decade in review it's like well the decade in review was we started the band and 
we put out the you know these four records um so i've got mortality playing with me uh nostalgia and then i was very very sick last year with like uh and i think it's just touring so much and then coming home and not doing anything and just kind of like have my body just kind of crashing and uh you know uh, famous people, famous rich people call it exhaustion. I don't know what what uh, what you, I'd call it. You, uh, you were but, you were sporadically sick, or you were specifically sick for a long period of time. I was specifically sick for a long period of time where I just did not feel well, and combined with having very poor health insurance and a terrible fear of doctors, I just kind of was struggling with it with myself trying to figure out how much of it was psychosomatic, how much of it was, you know, the chickens coming home to roost for, you know, lifestyle choices, not not really taking care of this body, you know, and uh, what I could do to change, you know, hoping that, Oh, maybe if I wake up tomorrow, it will all be gone and I don't have to worry about it. So it was, that was all in play as I'm trying to write the the next great Pronomarder record. You know, my, my dad throughout his life would have migraines. I didn't have migraines. And then all of a sudden you hit 40, you start having migraines. So I got my, and then I have like weird, you know, weird pains, uh, shooting up and down your body and you're, you know, you're looking up online and and everything is telling you that it's terrible, but you're too chicken shit to go to the doctor. Well, that was, yeah, I've, I've learned not to look, I've learned not to look things up online. Right. As a hypochondriac, it's the internet is there for you in the worst way. <laughs> so well, you, here's here's a, here's a sign that I don't know if you do the you know because I'm I think I'm kind of hyper uh, because I I just dwell on this stuff way too much. Yeah. Which I assume a lot of people do. The, the newest surprising thing that really hit me hard, and especially during the writing of the record, is I find myself watching a movie or something and looking up on Wikipedia and seeing just really focusing on how like when a person died yeah what they died of like oh wow that person died when they were 42 geez why did they die of right. oh boy i sure hope i don't have that you know and so my wikipedia was becoming a bummer for me you know yeah uh, yeah yeah i and it, it yeah. was it, it's, yeah it's, it's the internet it's, just, it's the, bad <laughs> yeah yeah uh and but also i would have when I'm trying to, like I was suffering from insomnia and so you're just, your brain is racing and you're just having the darkest thoughts and you know, it's, so that is what informed this album. So it ended up and I could have pretended I could have been like, well, I'm going to write about other things, but it seemed like, all right, we got all these things in play. This is what I have to kind of write about. So it doesn't, (laughs) which is, doesn't sound like I'm going to win the sales award this year when it comes to the album. <laughs> no, no, I I I can hear some, uh, and and I feel like there's some legacy stuff going on here, not just about sure. you just pondering. Um, you know, it's funny we spent a lot of time talking about statues, and there's other monuments on this record. Um, you know, carved lines upon the desert floor. Uh, that notion mm-hmm. of permanently etching your the, it's basically the uh, ancient, uh, you know, Joe Casey was here uh, <laughs> yeah. kind of uh, approach to uh, that's what history, a lot of history is. That's what a lot of artifacts are, monuments, statues. 
Uh, there are, I think, a couple of a few references to that to that sort of sentiment on this record. Is it fair to say you were thinking about uh, that? Yes. This notion of things out outliving their time on Earth, or out like uh, the memory of something, or the the symbolic. Here we go again. We are we're. I'm circling uh, <laughs> the right. symbolic. Hey, str- hey, I, I, I'm I'm a lyricist. I get to be symbolic. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Right. Yeah, you're you're entitled. That's true. But is that yeah. you were interested in that? The notion of things uh, lasting yeah. throughout the years beyond maybe their actual existence, if you will. Right, like a kiss from a rose. No, uh, it, uh, it, <laughs> how poetic. No, yes. I mean, it, it's kind of. I, I do this on every album where there's one song, there's always the song about writing songs mm-hmm. and where, you know, my children on the last record was definitely that where, you know, it, it is about legacy and what you leave behind. And so, yeah, coming off a decade of being in a band and, you know, feeling the icy grip of mortality and, 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 you you wonder you you need to come to terms with impermanence and you need to uh and what i what it's interesting about this record is i don't i don't think i come to accepting it at the end and it uh, someone was like oh warm in heaven kind of sounds like it's, it's it's kind of a nice you know calming way to end the album and I would agree. It's kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm dead, and now here's my advice to you, and life can go on. But then the last, you know, thirty seconds of the song are, are, did I exist? You know, was there even a point to existence? And so I don't. It really ends on a, on a clunker, as far as like, uh oh, this, this this is probably not worth it. You know, nothing is really like, and, but. It, 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 I think it's a very honest record as far as my mind state at the time of yeah. writing it. And, and people are say, well, like when we were writing the press release of it, I wanted to mention the fact that I feel like it's the fifth act of a play and that it's dealing with all these issues and it is sort of like closing the book. Um, the first five albums are kind of a piece. And the label was like, this sounds like you're saying this is your last album. Uh, don't do that. That's, that's terrible for sales. Uh, but I wanted to have a sensitive closure to this. So my obsessions and my feelings about that have been wrapped up in these five albums, I can kind of have a clean slate. If I, if we get a chance to make a sixth, it, it is kind of weird. You as a musician who, goes into studios and makes records and documents your feelings at the time. Uh, You're this, so you kind of are this, you're freezing uh, time every time you make a record. And a lot of the iconography around Proto Martyr is in fact statues, sculptures, uh, (laughs) uh, this notion of people or figures or eras being frozen in time. And so you are, you have this, you've done this in a sense now, uh, Joe, I would say, by making five albums, uh, you have frozen things in time that are going to outlast you and uh, outlast me and outlast 
us. And that's fascinating. I mean, in a fleeting sense, uh, lots of people do this every day, but, um, and they come, they come and they go is what I mean by a fleeting sense, but you've done that. So it does seem to be something that has been front of mind, I suppose, just like you seem to be wondering about what your existence is all about. And these lines, I exist, I did, I was here, I was, or never was, that does kind of sum up a lot of your mindset over five records, wouldn't you say? I think so. I mean, I, I hope so. Like, I hope, and because really the the history of the band was my dad dying and then me trying to stay busy after that and trying to to real, like realize that life was fleeting back in 2010 when it's like, hey, Greg, uh, can you and Alex helped me do a seven inch, you know, mm. from that point to now, it has been <laughs> trying to uh, make something of permanence in an impermanent world. Yeah. And yeah. I would like to think that now that that's been discussed for five albums, I can hopefully live a lot or approach the next album as not being so wrapped up in legacy or, or uh, the past or, you know, I I tried to write a science fiction, a futuristic song on this album, and it didn't go well because I was thinking, oh boy, if, if we could fly to, wouldn't it be great to fly to Mars? And then it's kind of like I don't know if you saw that movie Ad Astra. The one great idea they had in that movie was that you go to the moon and the moon is full of Starbucks and you know fast food places, and it's like it's it's not the utopian future that you hope for. It's the it's the same shit that you're living in now, you know. And and on and so, on the new album, is this reflected in the song Modern Business Hymns or yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's that's the one. Right. And so it's you know, I hope now that I've kind of it is a sense of like now that I've talked about this, I can move on to something new and what maybe not worry about uh, legacy or you know, I can finally write the the great beach party song. You know? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, it's heartening to hear you quell your record label and your fans uh, maybe uh, concerned that this is the last Proto Martyr album. It sounds like it's the last of its kind, um, is what you're basically saying. And now you're going to move on well, in yeah, some I, regard. Yeah. It, it's to hope, like, it's. And again, I, I'm really worried that I'm not a psychic because <laughs> I would really hope for more Proto-Rider records. But I wanted to kind of inspire the band, like, hey, we can keep doing this, but we don't need to be shackled to the past anymore. Yeah. We can, you know, it's it's a way to kind of restart your engines. And it really was brought upon thinking about like reissuing the first record and being like, Wow, I was thinking about being an old, washed-up nobody in the first record. <laughs> and, uh, right, you and that came, was ten years ago. <laughs> you you you, you kind of came to this profession a yeah. little late, I guess. Is maybe, I did, yeah, yeah. But it's it's funny to think, and, and so, but now the guys in the band are the age I was when we started the band. <laughs> right. So, so it's kind of you have to like take that into account, and so it was. Yeah, it was a way to be like, let's. Let's be re-energized, and I, you know, with this album, I'm impressed with the the level that the band is at, and like Greg's 
crazy ideas are continuing to hit for me satisfactorily where I'm like, I can't believe he, you know, nothing for all the things that blow up in our face, which happens a lot, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. putting out, trying to put out a record uh, about disease and, and illness during a pandemic, not a good idea. You know, starting a tour the day that the world shuts down, not a good idea. <laughs> uh, putting out an album or a video inspired by RoboCop on the day when nobody likes cops, <laughs> bad idea. <laughs> you know, it's, we have we have some dumb luck, but we do have some good luck. And I feel like Greg being able to have uh, artistic notion and being able to fulfill it. Uh, repeatedly is very impressive to me it's a mighty and spirited sounding album uh just in case we've made it sound like some downer uh <laughs> right uh, it is yeah. it's a great uh, super well arranged and uh, an excellent record if i might say eddie holman by the way is the author of that song that Ghostface uh samples and nutmeg so i okay i'd like to figure out if maybe uh greg and some of the yeah. boys there uh <laughs> were a keying into Ghostface or or what have you I don't know but anyway it's it's wonderful and uh, on 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 many levels you mentioned Kelly Deal at the beginning of this yeah uh, about an hour ago and I didn't really get a chance to follow up what is, does she play a role on the record no I mean like I would say that she was a great influence on the fact that our collaboration with her on the last EP that we did. Mm-hmm. Constellation EP, like the the two songs that really work on that one are the two that she's has a heavy hand in collaborating with. Right. Or it's like we, you know, and we kind of wanted it to be heavier at the time, but like that experience was something that we were really profound in, into, and so that was kind of the goal of like true collaboration with people. I see. And it was. And this time it was different because we had done stuff with like our friend uh, Olivier from France. We, we, we collaborated with people in the past, like pretty much in every album, mm-hmm. but they were friends and people that we knew. This is the first time that we kind of reached out to strangers where it's like, please, you know, will the songs hold up to scrutiny by strangers? You know, a friend might not tell you a song sucks and they'll still work on it. But you know, if you're, you're getting somebody to come in that you don't know, like they have to like the songs. Yeah. But yeah, Ke- Kelly was going to be like, that is the most unlucky thing about it was that tour was, we had practiced the new songs with her doing guitar, keyboard and backing vocals on all the new songs, some of the old songs. And it was amazing. We only got to play one show and it was like, it's went from being very tentative to being, I think kind of a masterpiece of a show considering that it was like, and stupidly through the whole show, I'm like, I hope you're enjoying the last show you'll ever see. (laughs) Cause I didn't, and that before I, again, I don't want to be psychic. So I really, and then we were going to tour. She was going to come out on the the U S tour with us and the European tour. She was, uh, was, and is like a member of the band at this point. Yeah. But, because of everything's been pushed back, it's like when we finally poke our heads off out of the ground, is she going to be busy with something else? Uh, you know, the breeders, her, the bands that are more important <laughs> in, in, in the grand scheme of things. It, it is an interesting so, time to be closing a chapter of a band in hopes of potentially starting something new and different right. when we don't know what that world will look right. like in the next year, the next two years, we really don't know. So that's, 
an interesting aspect of what we've been discussing as well. There is a there is a voice other than yours on this record uh, at one at least one point, right? Right. There's uh well, there's my friend Corey from the band Spray Paint who helps out on Tranquilizer, mm-hmm. and that's just a you know to add some more weirdness to that song. Yeah. And then there's N- Nandi Rose who goes by Half Wave when she releases solo records. And she adds backing vocals and vocals to like four or five songs on the album. Right. There's one that's pretty upfront, but and the other ones like it's she's on a lot more than you would think. Okay. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to pick one, but I there is the one that you mentioned uh, is I think leads the song off, and it's uh, right. It's a it's a little jarring to hear that on a Proto Martyr record. Not it didn't like make me call the police. But uh, <laughs> right. which is a You're weird. Like, Wait, does Joe has such a beautiful voice. I've never. Oh no, there, there he is. There he is. That's... Yeah. Uh, intruder. That was a weird joke to make in this day and age. By the way, call the police. But whatever, I went with it. And uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, all this to say, it's a, a wonderful uh, record on on many levels. And I thank you for uh, talking about it and other things. Uh, if people want to learn more about uh, Ultimate Success today, where would you want to send them, Joe? Uh, in terms of the internet, um, good question. I suppose they can go to our website at uh, mm-hmm. Uh That I think has links to where you can pre-order it. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's and then Domino Records. I'm sure they have. I haven't checked. Maybe they haven't got it set up yet. I'm sure. I'm sure they, they do. I, I'm sure they will by the time people hear this as well. But also, is there any? I, I know. You guys don't really engage with the social media channels. Is that still the case? Yeah, and I that's one of those things where I can grumble and be like, well, why are all these other bands getting so much bigger than us? And it's <laughs> like, well, maybe it's because they, they, they give a shit about their fans. You know? Right. Uh, I, we, our general theory was, as a band when we started, was nobody cares about us as people. And we think that's kind of fake to be yeah. like, if we had an Instagram page, it'd be very boring. It wouldn't have any posts. Cause we don't want to be like, look at us yeah. on tour. Here's our meals. Like it's just, and we try to maintain a Twitter page just cause we had one as limited as possible where it's like, here's where you can buy something or go to the show. Just because I just feel like number one, we're terribly boring people. And two, uh, it just our person. Like, I don't. I don't like the idea of a band being based solely around personality. Yeah, sure. About you know about the music. You're not the possible. monkeys for crying out loud. Right. Yes. As as I talked to you for an hour trying to get people to buy the record. <laughs> anyway, my personal struggle is worth buying. <laughs> no, I. I'm I, not giving away for free on the internet. I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. You. We're gonna all yeah. learn more about you from. From listening to yeah. the songs, probably than you saying, "Here's me eating a sandwich." Yeah, and I just, I just feel, and I, as a band full of like white guys, I'm sure we'll be okay, but I feel like it just opens yourselves up to unnecessary abuse too. Yeah, where you just be like, you know, I know on my limited Twitter Twitter interactions, there's like. Oh, this is the crazy guy that threatens to murder us every couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, we've there all. He is again. You know. Yeah, we all have yeah. those 
guys and they're generally guys. It's almost always guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird right. situation. So I, yeah. like I, it's one of those things where it's like, if, if we're getting the amount of shit that we're getting on our very limited socials, then I can only imagine what some other people are getting. Absolutely. Before, like, yeah. And you can see it happening where people are like, I got to, you know, people are ending careers because they can't handle the, the social network aspect of it. So yeah. yeah. I think we're smart in, in staying off it. Okay. Well, no, that's well put, and I respect that. So, again, people can go to your website and uh, and Domino's site to to learn more about uh, Ultimate Success today, and potentially, hopefully, someday tour dates uh, and and other news. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, if we could go out on a song from this record, <laughs> I don't know why I'm I'm speaking very dramatically all of a sudden. Uh, what song <laughs> would you select for us to hear, Joe? Well, if I had to pick a song, um, I think one that kind of, while Worm in Heaven is the last song in the album, I feel like the song for me that kind of encapsulates the theme of the album and maybe the theme of the last, you know, all five of the albums is uh, Bridge and Crown, which is the second to last song on the album. So Bridge and Crown would be my choice. Bridge and Crown reminded me of The Dentist, which I have a deep fear of. What is Bridge and Crown sort of about? Or what inspired it? Well, you're very you're very clever. You figured uh, it does have my friend <laughs> is studying to be a dentist, and I you know I asked her if there's any like good print, uh, dentist phrases or things that I could steal to use in a song. One is a calculus bridge, which uh, this should be a name of a band or something. Uh-huh. I haven't been able to use that yet, so don't steal that. I won't. I won't. Uh, the one. The bridge and the crown was definitely a thing, but then she gave me the four types of patients that when you're a dentist, and I'm sure when you're a doctor, you'll learn the four kind of responses that you'll get from patients. Oh, interesting. And so that's what starts the song. And I like that, you know, bridge and crown, I like that these are things that you will be in your mouth and will last your whole life and will be there long after you're gone. And that it sounds like it could be like an old-timey pub somewhere. <laughs> yeah, or a lo- or a location. Yeah. So it has a, like anything that can have multiple meetings, and there is kind of a secret society thing in that song. But I, I feel like it, it kind of it's a reflective song that looks back on the past and kind of lays out exactly what ultimate success is, at least in that moment. So. Does does the does some iteration of ultimate success or ultimate success today appear in almost every song? Uh, not quite. No, it's definitely in the first, and it's at least in. I feel like it's it in three or half. four, three or four songs. I want to say right, and but like the idea of the day, like to me, like there's there's nothing. The horror of insomnia and not being able to sleep and having the sun come up, mm. and when you're trying to sleep in an old house that doesn't have air conditioning, you. It's like the, the day is worse than the night. Like I, I long for the night. You know, there's nothing frightening about the night to me. It's the day. Yeah. And so like that was uh, the the heat of the summer and the, the the noise of insects out the window. That was definitely like a, a major touchstone for us. Okay. So yeah. For, for those of uh, we're about to play it, but look out for uh, th- these lines. Only four types of patients here: exacting, philosophical, indifferent. Or hysterical. That's funny. I feel like I'm all of those when I go see a right. physician or a doctor or whatever. I'm all of them. Yeah. Is that, is yeah. that, is that possible? 
Well, it's good. Yeah. I mean, you can go through the different stages. I'm sure you're exacting about your being hysterical. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Definitely. I lean towards the hysterical when I'm at the dentist and I'm trying to get philosophical. Uh, yeah. Or indifferent when I'm sitting there. But it's hard. I have a hard time. I'll tell you, I had some trauma when I was a kid and uh, it still affects me. So anyway, all in that spirit, this is Bridge and Crown Yay. by Proto Martyr. <laughs> Uh, Joe, thank you so much for being back on the show and having this talk with me, and I wish you the best luck with everything going forward. This is this is always always a pleasure, uh, and I, I like you checking in. Hopefully, I'll be able to check in in a couple of years with a new set of bummers <laughs> and uh, <laughs> questions about society <laughs> and our role in it. And we'll, we'll solve all the problems, and then we'll we'll, we'll do it again. I agree. I, I think that's it's a date. How, how about I say that it's a date, Joe? Perfect. Perfect. <laughs>
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombus donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombus.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Always means a lot to have Joe Casey of Proto Martyr. On the show, I feel like we have some nice, long, deep conversations. It means a lot. In this case, Joe was on the 552nd episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available on all Apple and Google platforms and, and Spotify and YouTube and other things as well. If you can't find an episode you're looking for uh, on any of those things, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my semi-regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com you can like Creative Control on Facebook follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative or follow me directly at vishkana also please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation uh, to sustain the existence of this very podcast you can make any kind of donation you want you can change it at any time I will say that anyone who donates six dollars or more Uh, has access to exclusive audio content from my interviewing archives. As I'm speaking to you, the most recent one of these things just went up, featuring a 2012 conversation between myself and Killer Mike, whom you might know now as a member of Run the Jewels. Uh, when I spoke to him, it was about his 2012 solo album, Rap Music, which I still am a huge fan of. And uh, yeah, so I just put that up. Prior to Killer Mike, Fugazi, a conversation with Fugazi from... 2011, uh, D.A. Pennybaker has been on the show, uh, or been on, you know, is featured, the late D.A. Pennybaker was featured on the thing, uh, Hal Wilner, the late Hal Wilner, anyway, there's lots of interesting content there, and uh, extra content as a little treat for those who uh, support the show, donate to the show, so again, visit patreon.com slash creative control to make your flexible monthly donation today. Thanks again to live at masseyhall.com, where you can watch beautifully captured concerts by great Canadian artists. Also, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. Man, I wish I could sample all of their wares, but here I am in Alberta, and I I can't. But I miss them, and they uh, support the show with in-kind support. So thank you very much to all of them. Jim Guthrie lets me use some music of his on the show. You can learn more about Jim and his amazing catalog of sound at jimguthrie.org. And finally... Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode with Joe Casey of Proto Martyr again. This was his third appearance on the show. Uh, hopefully, you, if you like this, go. Uh, I haven't listened to the other appearances in a long time. I presume they were okay. <laughs> uh, Joe keeps coming back, and I keep wanting him back. We have a nice time. So, uh, yeah, lots of content uh, episodes to check out. So, go to my website or whatever your podcast uh, platform is and dig into the show. 
And uh, tell your friends about the show and subscribe to the show and all those things. It means a lot. And yeah, that's it from Creative Control for another episode. I will talk to you very soon with yet another episode, presumably. I will talk to you, like I say, very soon. Thanks again. Bye for now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer after for years to come try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details